All right, so we're in. We're just going to see whether there's anybody else who wants in. Do do do. Anyone else? This is the conference call for everyday anarchy. And there will be references or questions to what word is on what paragraph on what page it's a code. All right, I think that's it. I think everyone's in. So, uh, yeah, so I wanted to, um, I guess, just get some uh, some feedback on the book. I had some questions of my own around the, um, the book itself, but... Um, just uh, uh, if, if people had sort of thoughts about the book to start, that would be good if anybody wanted to start off. Well, I just finished reading it myself yesterday, and um, uh, just a general thought. Um, it's... Um, It's hard to it's hard to pinpoint what it is that um, I guess that that um, I, I I can't put a finger on what my reaction to this book is. Um, I mean I liked it um, very much so, um, but. I, I don't know. I um, I mean, it's well written, well organized. Um, it's compact. It's easy to read. It's it's a perfect handout. I was thinking of um, uh, seeing if I could get print copies of this so I could hand it out to people. But um, like, if you could get those little those little four inch pocket versions like the, like how they make the constitution yeah yeah no i thought of that too that would be yeah that would be good but um but but as for um i mean my my um general emotional reaction to it was um was sort of um I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've just been at this too long because uh, I kept waiting to hear something I hadn't heard before. That I guess is a, a good way to put it. I I don't I I I know that sounds kind of um I don't know um Sorry, were you still mid thought? I didn't want to uh, interrupt. No, no, no. I'm I I sorry. I I, I can't um 
I can't, I can't seem to put, put words to it, so I'll, I'll just... I'll step aside here and let somebody else go. Okay, and uh, did anybody else have any comments or questions? Well, she comments more about the book. Just, you know, feedback, consumer kind of things. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. Um, I, I kind of feel like Greg does in a way where it's, it's sort of hard to put it to words a little bit. Um, I, I like this better than your first one. Um, I think it was a lot easier to follow and a lot less complicated in general. Um, compared to, sorry, the first one being untruth? Yeah, sorry. Um, but for the most part, it was, it was almost like, um, maybe because I've been reading these and for a little while now, um, that I'd seen a lot of what you said before. But it was definitely um, a good introduction, really, to the entire concept. And I think it it will be very good to introducing others to the whole concept in the future. And uh, what's the concept that you see it as uh, as introducing? Um, just anarchy in general. Um, if that makes any sense. It, it was it was very good at explaining sort of how double standarded if that's not a word I'm sorry um, we tend to be about you know the word and whatnot and and how we handle it um, which is why it was a good sort of introduction to people like new people coming in if that makes sense. Yeah, and certainly that was uh, that was behind the the point behind the book. So, so sort of uh, like Greg, it's sort of an enjoyable read, but uh, nothing that was particularly startling or new. Exactly. All right. Um, and was there anything else that you wanted to uh, to or anything else you wanted to mention about it? Um. No, I think that was that was basically it. Okay. Thank um, you. Yeah. And was there anyone else who had? Um, comments about it yeah I agree because unlike while well, UPB gives you a detailed introduction to logic and non-aggression principle everyday anarchy just starts off easy just gives them just something to think about it's easier on the mind yeah, no, it's, I mean, a UPB is, is pretty horrible as far as that goes. It's, uh, it's a front squeeze, but uh, this one is supposed to be a little bit easier to uh, to digest. Definitely. And it's also good for anybody who's, so it's good for anybody who's new to this. Okay, all right, excellent, excellent. And was there anything else you wanted to mention about it? And not really. Okay, thanks. And was there anyone else who wanted to uh, mention about or anything about the book itself?
I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to force anyone to talk about it if they're not comfortable. I do think it's very interesting that there is a um, uh, that it does seem to be hard to talk about, and um, I do. Uh, I, I do have, sort of have a theory as to why, but um, I don't want to <clears throat> go into it um, because, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to go into the theory if other people have have other things to say. Well, do you think it might be um, just um, the 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 because um, um, this is more than just resuscitating the word anarchy, right? I mean, it's you're you're trying to resuscitate in people the the entire idea of nonviolence. Well, to some degree, uh, to some degree, yes. Uh, really, the purpose in the book is not to resuscitate anarchy or even the concept of nonviolence, but simply to point out contradictions in the existing, in the existing theories. To point out the ambivalence that we have towards the use of violence that we consider it both the greatest good and the greatest evil. And if people aren't troubled by that, then they're just mental, and you're right. Then it's nothing that nothing that we can do to. Um, to interest in them in that, but what I'm trying to do is find the people who go like, well, crazy as this sounds, that can't be right, <laughs> you know, like, the, the, it can't be that it's both this greatest good and greatest evil at the same time, and it was really just, I mean, there's, it's like trying to just detonate the the ice shield, so to speak, over the idea, and just say, look, the, this thing is riddled with contradictions, and this is what, um, this is where revolutions start, right, I mean, in, in sort of my understanding of what happens is the accumulation of evidence and logical problems with the prior theory, whether it's Newtonianism or Ptolemaic theory or whatever, um, uh, the, the accumulations of problems with the prior theories simply become large enough that they can be encapsulated and communicated. And I sort of feel that we're at that place now with regards to political theory. And so I just wanted to start saying, look, I mean, <laughs> there are problems with the existing theory. And this I've specifically avoided making the argument for anarchism, but rather to just say um, that that we have some contradictions here, and if they don't bother you, they don't bother you, but they sure as hell bother me, and uh, I think there's good reason that they should. Contra contradictions over uh, um, the the commonly accepted notion of anarchism, not 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 uh, not the anarchism we talk about here. Well, uh, there's there's contradictions, even even if we accept the blood and guts chaos theory of anarchism, uh, and that's associated. That's why I started off by saying, it, even if we accept blood and guts anarchism, that anarchism is a war of all against all. That is considered to be what is present when government is absent. But why does that seem to be the most present when government is the most present? I mean, these are just even if we accept that that myth, right? It still right. doesn't we fit have theory, right? We, we we have to accept that myth in order for the contradictions to exist. Well, even if even if we don't accept that myth, myth, uh, then the contradictions in democracy uh, and, and so on all exist. But um, uh, so it's, it's oh, oh, saying right, that well, the, right, the theory right. says the less government, the more violence. But the practice, what we actually see in practice, is tends to be the more government, the more violence. Right. And this is what brought down Marxism as a generally acceptable theory, right? Because Marxism made a number of empirical 
predictions with regards to how society was, was going to work and how society was going to evolve. And Marxism took as its core justification the fact that it was objective and scientific, that it was not an ideology, but that Marx had discovered, or I guess Marx and Engels together had discovered uh, the core economic drivers and hidden motive forces of, of society and economics, and they made a number of predictions. They made the prediction that capitalism would uh, would result in poorer and poorer wages for workers or lower and lower wages for workers, and that didn't happen. I mean, quite the opposite happened. They made the prediction that the um, it was the most industrialized countries that would have a communist revolution first, and of course, that was completely not true. It was quite the opposite. It was the least industrialized countries that had the revolution. Uh, Mexico, uh, Russia, China, places like that. Backward, agrarian, uneducated, and so on. Um, and of course, there was the prediction that under scientific socialism or communism, productivity would increase. Uh, on the other hand, it completely, like empirically, it completely decreased. And you know, a number, we could go into a number of other ones like. Uh, the state will wither away, but what happened? What well, the state just got larger and larger. So, what what Marxism did was it said, "This is not an ideology. This is science, and we are going to make predictable guess, uh, predictable, and we're going to make predictions, empirically verifiable predictions about the future." And one of the reasons that Marxism became discredited in most places outside of academia was because none of these I mean, they were complete. You couldn't have been more wrong. Like, I mean, they simply couldn't. It just about every conceivable prediction that Marxists made turned out to be completely the opposite of what occurred. And so that it's just in, in the comparing of the theory to the practice uh, is where where things occur. And that doesn't really occur in academia because they exist in their own planet. But uh, you know, in the real world, people started rolling their eyes at, at Marxism because it just it, it's it put its it put as its uh, core justification, the fact that it was not ideological but scientific, and thus it made predictions about the real world that turned out to be completely false, then by its but own the, standard it fell on its own sword, right? Sorry? Right, but it also, I mean, it may Marx may have claimed he wasn't being ideological, but his whole approach is based on a number of fundamentally false assumptions about human nature. Well, but the um, whether we accept as true or false his assumptions about human nature, Marx himself, or let's say Marxists, would definitely argue that because communism is scientific, it doesn't matter what human nature is. Oh, I see. Right, because he says that human nature flows from a human personality flows from class conflict, but even if that were completely falsified, it doesn't matter what, even if it turned out that it doesn't flow from class conflict, it doesn't matter whatsoever because he made very specific predictions about the uh, future. Right, but those, Sorry, those, those, those predictions are based on uh, the way he thought people would behave, right? No, he, he would say that they were based on iron laws of economics, that they have nothing to do with human nature. Which, to me, is a um, a confusing statement. Because economics is uh, essentially about the way that people behave, right? Well, sure, but an economist uh, will say people respond to incentives, right? And Marx, of course, would say that people respond to incentives as well. I mean, he, would, he didn't say that people got their... 
um, ideas or perspectives from some orbiting spaceship, he, Marx would say, uh, people respond to incentives and the unalterable, un inescapable incentives within the capitalist system are for the few of the rich to get richer and the majority of the poor to get poorer and for the middle class to be erased and blah, 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 blah. And he said that this would occur in a free market situation. And, of course, we have found that this has occurred over the 20th and 21st centuries, but it's only occurred as a result of the destruction of the free market system and where the free market system operates the most, in turn, places like Singapore and so on, that this is occurring the least, right? Right. Right. Exactly. So the, so what, he's, what he was missing was uh, the, the influences over... Um, over those incentives, right, or, or or the nature of the incentives. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what that means. Well, the difference being uh, between a free market and a and a mixed or a socialist or a communist or, or a government um, uh, run society is is the uh, the imposition of power. Right. Political power. Well, I think that's certainly true, although he would be the first one to admit that a communist state does have uh, a lot of power. He was just saying that the power is in the hands of the workers, quote, rather than the capitalists. But no, I mean, Ma Marx basically messed up because he didn't understand profit. And profit is a damn hard thing to understand economically. Because for Marx, he felt that you, sim you simply underpaid workers to make money, right? So you would pay the worker 10 bucks and you would produce something worth 20 bucks, and the, the, the $10 was the profit, and that's where profit comes from, is less, um, is, is paying the worker less, right? So, of course, he said, given, sorry, I know this is a bit off-tangent, but, but it actually does have something to do with the book, but Marx said that because capitalists want to maximize their profits, which, of course, is completely true, and nobody wanted to, to nobody would disagree with that, because capitalists want to maximize their profits, their incentive, since profit is price minus labor and other things, but labor being the biggest variable, he would say since capitalists want to Im improve their profits, the only way that they can do that or the most substantial way that they can do that is to drive down the wages of the workers, right? Right. And that's why his theory was because he thought this, this is his labor theory of value that profit comes – from screwing the wages, sorry, from screwing the workers' wages, or screwing the workers. Since profit comes from screwing the workers and capitalists want to make as much profit as possible, what they're going to do is continually screw the workers. And more and more and, and so on, right? Right. So because he fundamentally did not understand profit, his entire theory was, like, everything flowed from that era. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Because that's not what profit is, right? I mean, that's sort of like uh, an effect rather than a cause. And it certainly is true that you have to pay your workers less than what you sell something for in order to turn a profit. But that's not the definition of profit. The definition of profit is <clears throat> some sort of improvement in productivity through, you know, through specialization, through the division of labor, through uh, increases capital investment in, in labor-saving devices and so on, the definition of profit is fundamentally being able to produce more 
with less. I mean, that's right. That's the right. basic. And uh, he didn't understand that, right? So, so, so. Uh, as, sorry, uh, as you produce more but less, you release workers to do other things, which means that society as a whole can produce more, and everyone gets gets wealthier, right? Right, a surplus of value derived from efficiency. Yeah, I mean, so, so the drive is the 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 the, the profits of a capitalist arise because he invests or does has some innovative thing and it doesn't have to be a huge capital investment henry henry ford revolutionized uh production simply by not having 50 guys swarm around one car but having the the car go down a conveyor belt and having everyone work on their own piece and so he was able right. to double workers' wages very very quickly right because in, in that marxist thing too right in, in, in the idiot economic view of the universe if you uh, replace workers with machinery, somehow this is considered to be that which drives down the demand for workers and allows you to pay them less, right? Quite the opposite is true. Well, and it changes the nature of the work, too. Yeah, it, it does. It changes the nature of the work, and it takes an intellectual to imagine that a worker is happier working on ten things than he is working on one, and making two or three times as much money. <laughs> right. You know, well, he used to he used to polish the hubcaps and do this and do the other. Now all he does is polish the hubcaps, right? It takes an intellectual to think that that is a massive drop in the quality of a guy's work <laughs> relative to getting two or three times the money and being able to go on vacation, being able to send his kids to college and all the other things that – because intellectuals work they, – they, um, they live to work, right, because they enjoy what they do. They don't understand the psychology of people who work to live, right? Who go and put up with a job in order to get other things in their life. Right. Right, exactly. But um, anyway, so so it's when the evidence accumulates that the theory is simply not panning out. And I think we're at a time in history where the evidence for democracy is beginning to pile up against <laughs> – I mean the, 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 the practice is not meshing anymore with the theory. Has it ever meshed with the theory? I don't know. I would certainly say that there are times when people are flushed with the success of something, right? So, I mean, if you look at the 60s of the civil rights movement, everybody was flushed with success and they felt they'd made massive strides pro uh, forward and this was really going to help the black community. And, you know, you fast forward a couple of decades and, you know, it's a, it's a it's massive a strides backwards. Yeah, well, certainly, um, and and of course, there are certain kinds of cynical theories which I think are relatively unprovable, but interesting to mull over that the um, it was black activists who got most mad <laughs> at the um, the blacks because they were getting themselves out of poverty and into the middle class in the post-war period fairly rapidly, and uh, so they had to step in and help, right? <laughs> in the same way that when um, people get happier, religion does worse. And uh, so, you know, religious people want to step in and help people avoid that unpleasant thing called happiness. We want to help you get rid of your happiness. Right, because happiness, if you're happy, we can't uh, sell you anything, right? It's like, I'm here to save we, you. From what? We can't brainwash you. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, th that was sort of the what I was thinking about in terms of the book was uh, really just along, uh, along those lines, uh, which was that... I did not want to um, 
make the case for anarchy, but simply point out the logical inconsistencies, which I think it it's hard for people to see. I mean, there's so much propaganda. Right? It's really hard for people to see. And um, that, that was sort of the idea behind it. And um, uh, that having been – sorry, and, and was there anything else that people wanted to say about that? Put everyone to sleep. Should we talk more about Marxism? Does that keep everyone alert? Yes? No? So I think that, I mean, the thing that I found to be interesting about this book is that I've had uh, very little feedback on it uh, other than, yeah, it's good. I mean, it didn't really, you know, nothing really new and, and uh, you know, but well put out. It's, you know, it's good for other people. It's useful for other people, but not, but not for us. And I, <laughs> I strongly, which of course does not mean at all correctly, uh, disagree with, uh, with that assessment. I also disagree with the assessment that there's nothing new in the book. In fact, I think one of the best ideas I've ever had <laughs> is in the book. And I don't, I don't remember talking about it before because I remember it hit me like a lightning bolt during the writing of the book. And so I just wanted to talk about sort of that one core idea. And if people don't think it's new, that's great. Or if I did talk about it in a podcast already, I'd be more than happy to go back and <laughs> refresh my aging brain on what happened. But I think that the concept that the state works on principles of anarchy is just such a mind-blowing idea for me that um, I'm sort of surprised, I guess, that nobody's noticed that idea. And it could be because... I've done 12 podcasts on it before and for some reason can't remember it. But in talking about how democracy itself relies on unwritten contracts that are not enforced through the state, which is the very definition of anarchy, right? Anarchy is the idea that we do not need a coercive state to enforce our contracts, whether they're, quote, social contracts like property and crime or business contracts and so on. And so the idea that the government itself, democracy in particular, works on these unenforceable contracts around giving money to campaigns in return for political favors afterwards, which are not even contracts that are written down. The idea that the state itself only exists because these unenforceable, unwritten contracts are almost perfectly respected is so fucking mind-blowing to me that I'm sort of surprised that it it either is something that everybody else understands and I didn't, or it's something that... I've talked about before and didn't seem new, or it's something that people didn't notice. So, did you notice that one, or is it not new? Or you're you're talking in terms of the uh, the the backroom political handshaking that goes on during a, like an elect an election process, and and or um, uh, the the drafting of new legislation or uh, uh, that, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, there were two that I pointed out in the book, although there's more that could be extrapolated, but the two were the fact that a, um, uh, the, the democratic state runs on these backroom deals, which is purely anarchic uh, in principle. In fact, it's even worse than the kind of anarchism that we talk about because people say, well, DROs are risky, right? But And if we said, look, <laughs> the way that we're going to run society is all of these backroom deals that are completely unenforceable, that will never even be written down, that are multi-year, right? And people would just say, well, that's completely impossible. DROs are dangerous enough if you're not even allowed to write down the contract and you can't enforce it using any violence whatsoever. 
and you can't even speak about it with anyone because it's a kind of dirty secret, they'd say there's simply no way that could work, right? I mean, people are skeptical of the DRO theory. If we proposed how democracy works and we'd say this would work perfectly, people would never believe us, right? Well, and they often don't. What do you mean? Well, people are always dismissing the DRO theory. Well, sure, I understand that, but if we if we put forward this thing which says society is going to work on these backroom deals that are never written down, completely non-enforceable, and nobody can even talk about them or admit to their existence. Oh, oh, right, right, right. And people would just say, well, that's completely insane, right? Those would never work. Well, that may be the, the well, I don't know. Most everybody I know would just say, uh, well, that's what we have now. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll, right. I'll, try, I'll try this again. <laughs> maybe I'm not getting something across, or maybe it's not that big an idea to get across, right? But there's a lot of criticism about the feasibility of the DRO system, where the rules can be open, can be signed upon, can be agreed upon, can be public, and can be enforced through a very wide variety of objective and open social mechanisms, right? Agreed. And people say, well, that seems like that wouldn't work, right? Right, because they they insist that there has to be some sort of force behind it. Right, right. So the DRO system is almost infinitely more likely to work than if we proposed a system which said the deals can never be written down. It's entirely based on a handshake. It involves billions of dollars. You can never talk about them, and you can't enforce them in any way, shape, or form. Well, they're, they're enforced. No, they're not. Not to donate money to get political favors. Well, they're enforced through social ostracism, right? Well, they're enforced through a process of, of selection for corruptibility and so on that I talk about in the book. But what I'm saying is that if we propose that as the system, people would definitely tell us there's no way it could ever work, right? And furthermore, yeah. if, if, if yeah. this was all going on in, in complete opposition to the primary armed military might of a one successful DRO, we would say that could never even come remotely work, right? Wait, you, you lost me there. Well, all the stuff that occurs in a democracy, these, these political deals, they're actually illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they work almost perfectly. Sure, because well, the enforcement mechanism there is that uh, people don't want to be found out. Right. Well, that's part of it, but um, but I, as I talk about in the book, there's a lot more selection that's going on for the people. It it doesn't just work on blackmail, right? Because blackmail is a gun that goes off in the blackmailer's hands, right? I mean, they're in a mute situation of mutually assured destruction, so to speak, right? That's true. That's true. 
but whoever has more power in those situations usually tends to come out with less mud on him than the other guy. Right. So the state itself only functions on a crippled kind of anarchy. And it functions really, really well. Billions of dollars get moved around to just the right people based on just the right influence with no contracts, with no enforcement, with in opposition to the laws and with a hungry media sniffing around looking for scandal. It works almost flawlessly. The state is the best argument for anarchy that could conceivably exist because it actually functions on a crippled form of anarchy. And if a crippled form of anarchy works this well, imagine what an open form of anarchy would look like and how well that would work. Okay, yeah, th that makes that makes sense. That, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, there's all... Like you're like you're saying in the book, there's all sorts of um, uh, unwritten contracts all over the place, and so if unwritten contracts are possible, well, it's but it's not a possible, right? And this is this is the uh, this is the argument that I don't think I made as effectively as I could in the book because I'm I'm not sure I'm making it even that effectively now. They're not out there potentially, this is the foundation of how society, political society, which is more than 50% of society, this is how political society actually works, let alone academics, right? Right, handshakes. Well, yeah, handshakes and in academics, there's no, there's no rule about it at all. There's no rule that says don't have anarchists in academia. Yeah, but it's just those unspoken rules ostracism right ostracism self-interest i mean and and this is um oh sorry somebody said that they're confused by the term works with regards to this what i mean is that it functions beautifully and that doesn't mean it works morally or anything like that but it functions beautifully there is an uh, i mean the whole political process runs on a crippled form of anarchy and the right people always get elected and the positive selection for what works and, and how these deals get made, who gives money, who gets back favors, it works really, really, really well because no one knows about it, right? And it works under extreme duress and it works under a hungry media and a legal system that is tuned against it. It works fantastically well because people do get what they order on the buffet, even though there's no contracts and there's no enforcement whatsoever. All right. The, and when when you say the the right people get elected and and the and the right, you mean, um, you mean the very wrong people? Well, right for the the right for the people who are doing the purchasing, right? Yeah, but wrong right. for everybody else. Well, but that doesn't matter, right? We're not talking about the ethics right. of the system. We're talking about how well it functions. Uh, right. Right. In terms because, of in terms. Sorry, go on. In in terms of the, you're talking in terms of the transaction taking place. Yeah, I mean, people criticize the DRO system as being unfeasible, 
And what I'm pointing out in this book is that we have an example of an entirely and completely crippled DRO system functioning almost perfectly in the form of the government. And, and if we have this pseudo-anarchy in the government, then imagine what can happen without it. Right, right. I mean, you know, we can say that if you look at, I mean, another example, of course, although it's very much crippled by uh, po sort of popular media, but uh, if you look at illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants have no recourse to the law courts, yet 10 million of them work perfectly well, or at least relatively well, within America, right? Wait, wait. Say again? Well, illegal Sorry. immigrants operate in a state of anarchy. They have no access to legal protection or to a state of any kind, really, right? In fact, they have to avoid it like the plague. Right, 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 right. That's and true. that all works relatively well, right? Well, <laughs> um, well, it it depends. Depends on um, what 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 well, aspect of it we're talking about here. Because uh, I don't know if the if the folks jammed into the back of um, of uh, uh, some. Coyote's van are going to are going uh, are, are to say that it's working really well, but well, no. But what I mean is that they get paid. Obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be in that van, right? Uh, they they get paid, um, and they find that they can live in a society which, which is not only without a government, but where a government is actively trying to catch them and throw them in jail or throw or deport them, right? That's it functions, true. right? I mean, obviously, it's not optimal, right? Any more than the drug trade is optimal, but it all functions, right? I mean, drugs make their way from um, Afghanistan to Guantanamo Bay <laughs> or some, any other prison you name with no contracts, right? And nothing that's enforceable. Yeah. That's true. And, and, and all of that – the, sorry, go ahead. And you have the black markets of the Soviet Empire, where nominally the state controlled the food distribution. In reality, you had this huge black market where food maybe was more expensive, but you could still eat. Yes, but but and and all of but see that that is the way that I've sort of approached this question of of looking at. Uh, looking at how anarchy could work, we say, well, it works despite government, but. For me to return to sort of hammer this point home, which I'm not doing a very good job of, but I'll keep giving it a try if you don't mind my patience. Oh, I don't mind being patient. But the idea that the government is by far the best argument for the validity of anarchy that exists anywhere because it all relies on unenforceable contracts. Anarchy, of course, would not rely on unenforceable contracts. But if the government works on entirely anarchic principles and hidden and, and subterranean and non-codified and non-enforceable and non-objective, if, if that amount of deal-making can work without violence, then the government is the best argument for the efficacy of anarchy. And this is really, for me, it was just a brain-trippy idea. And again, I'm not sure if, if, if people are getting it or if it's maybe not that to everyone else, but I think if you do get it, it's completely mind-blowing.
No, I, I, I think I, I do get it, but I'm just kind of wondering why. I mean, when I read that, I, I thought, well, that's an interesting argument, but it, it didn't like. I didn't like fall out of the bus when I read that. And that's interesting, right? Yeah, I, I wonder why. And there could be a failure of the writing, and I'm perfectly aware of that. But, but the difference is that because everyone's saying, everyone who's written to me about the book, uh, who who's had any involvement in the conversation, is like, yeah, yeah, it was a good rehash, right? Yeah, that was my that was my initial reaction too. But it's not. I mean, I of course, there's some stuff in there we've talked about before, but this idea, which I talked about in two realms, of the near-perfect enforcement, the near-perfect non-violent enforcement of an unwritten rule, which occurs all over the world with no codification, no DROs, no contracts, Nothing explicit. And it's actually against the rules. You can't discriminate against anarchists in academia. It's like discriminating against blacks, right? It's actually against the rules. Right. But it works perfectly. That is by far the best argument for anarchism that I could imagine in terms of examples of it working. Because it's all based on social ostracism. Yeah, it's all based on self-interest and social ostracism. And there's no central organizing agency. Because right? everyone says in society, well, you need a central organizing agency. But oh, you don't. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. So yeah. when you say a crippled form, what you're talking about is that that fear of uh, of exposure before the law. But um, what really motivates the whole thing is just all of this unwritten um, uh, social ostracism and self-interest. Right. Right. That so the, it's 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 as spun like because the whole idea of the market is you don't like to have a central agency, particularly setting price and the movement of goods and so on, is incredibly destructive, and you don't need it, right? <laughs> right. Right. In the narrow context of the government, all the interactions are voluntary. All the. Handshake. Yeah, sure. Running for office is voluntary. Giving money to political candidates is voluntary and so on. And it's voluntary and it's hidden and there's no central agency which enforces any of it whatsoever and it all works beautifully. Yeah, there's no political regulatory committee or, or whatever. Right. There's nobody who says um, – uh, if you look at academia, right, there's no one who oh. says, well, you have to submit the applicants to us and we have to make sure that there's no anarchic elements in this person's thinking, right? Let, let, it just happens let me, spontaneously and naturally. Sorry, go on. Well, let, let me ask you this. I mean there's a, there's a good deal of um, – Fear of social ostracism, um, especially in politics, uh, because of the implications. Right, um, uh, somebody gets uh, exposed; um, their career is over their their income potential their productivity capacity is basically um, terminated sure right so so it's um, 
So, so it, the the fear is um, almost literally like a life and death fear. Well, I don't know about life and death, right? I mean, it's not like uh, if a politician in his third term gets exposed. I mean, Elliot Spitzer is not going to be in the poorhouse, right? <laughs> no, that's true. Right? That's he'll just true. go back to practice. He'll take lie low. He'll write a book. He'll whatever, whatever, right? Right. But uh, that kind of stuff, you know, it takes a huge bite out of their uh, net worth, right? So. Well, for sure. And, and, and none of this is organized by anyone. None of these interactions, none of this enforcement, none of it is organized by anyone. So the central organizing agency runs on principles that are entirely against its own principles. The state runs on anarchy. Yeah, within the government, you don't have everybody pointing guns at each other. Right, and, and if I donate money, nod, nod, wink, wink to a campaign guy... I know, like we talk about these contract rating agencies, right? In, in, just a sec. We talk about these contract rating agencies in the DRO system, right? That somebody who keeps his word is going to have lower transaction costs and, and people will know and they'll build up their reputation, like the rating on eBay, right? But this doesn't even exist within the government. How do you know if you give this mayoral candidate some money that he's going to throw some goodies your way? So even if contract rating agencies were specifically outlawed and if DROs were specifically outlawed through some magical means in an anarchic society, it would still function beautifully. The, the, yeah, so, so that, uh, the, 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 uh, the anarchic principle is really um, and to 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 draw a a, a, a less um, dramatic example or, or metaphor from 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 your example of the the will kill, uh-huh. it, it's it's like everybody, it's like everybody in politics has a magic wand that they're carrying around that they could stick you with, that would um, sort of. It, like a like a weapon of uh, of uh, incapacity. Well, sure, but what we're saying, what at least what the book is arguing, is that you don't need a will kill because only only people who have proven their integrity to corruptibility ever get into that position anyway. Right, and the first person who turns will get poked with uh, with the stick of uh, incapacity. Right, right, that, for sure. But he'll never even get in there. Right, right. That's good. Because there's too much. Uh, there's too much. Uh, uh, too much at, at risk, right? Takes years to build a reputation, only seconds to lose it. Exactly, exactly. And given the consequences of making a bad decision in this area, I mean, this is how I, I was listening to this um, uh, this book. Uh, sorry, this this lecture by a guy who did the who studied the beginning of the stock market uh, in um, uh, in uh, um, Holland in the 17th century, and because it was so new, the government had no laws and no regulations, but it was all perfectly well enforced through ostracism. So every, all the deals were made on a handshake, but if you didn't pay when you were supposed to, nobody would do any business with you. So everybody paid on time. Interesting. 
the the social conformity model of anarchy. Right. <laughs> and and the idea that because people say, well, I don't think the DROs would work, and we can say, well, absolutely they will work. Look at the state. The state functions on on anarchic principles, even in the complete, even with an open hostility to DROs. Oh, people say, well, contract rating agencies won't work. It's like, nope, <laughs> because the um, the backroom deals in a democracy are all enforced, and people are given millions or hundreds of millions of dollars or more. It's all word of mouth. It's all word of mouth, and there's no contract yeah. rating agencies, and it works beautifully. Yeah, that's exactly right. Anarchy is an improvement on the bad anarchy of a state. Of the state. Right, and what what makes and what makes it a crippled form is the. Uh, just the the um, the 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 well it's the state right I mean sorry I don't mean to jump into the the pauses but but right, the funny sorry. thing is is that sorry we, we, we people say well what if one DRO conquered all of the other DROs right anarchy would still work how do we know that because that's the situation that we have right now Right. Even and if it still one, works. Sorry? Even if the one DRO ro magically rose to power, there'd still be all the underground negotiations and stuff. Well, that DRO would function on anarchic principles. Exact because it would be a state, right? And the state functions on anarchy. The state runs on anarchy. Right, the people okay. within it. Well, the movement of goods and services, the promotion of people, everything runs on spontaneously generated, uncodified, unwritten down, non-enforceable rules. That even if you anarchy triple is- anarchy by putting it inside a government, it still runs that government. That's how incredibly resilient and perfect it is. That if you took oh, anarchy, I... if you took anarchy out of the government, the government can't. Work. I see. So, right. So you're you're saying that that um, the state is actually is actually kind of a um, it exists inside of anarchy, not the other way around. Right. That it's uh-huh. uh, go on. It it exists in. The, the state exists. Well, the state runs on anarchy. I just said one inside, one or the other, I think would be... It, and I, I know I said it, but it was sort of a dramatic way of putting it. But the state runs right. on anarchy. The state is the best proof for the efficacy of anarchy that I can think of. <laughs> right. So why why then is... Uh, why, why is it so easy to just kind of um, breeze over that point? Well, I, I think that's really interesting, and I, I don't know the answer to that. I have a couple of theories, but y'all tell me. I want to theorize when we've got people here who did it. Well, um, sorry. Um, personally, it wasn't that new of a concept for me. I don't know if maybe it's where I grew up or whatever, but I actually sort of, not to the point that you had stressed it um, in your writing, but I kind of already knew that it was sort of the the legs 
for the state. That sorry, that the anarchy is the legs of the state. Yeah. Um, and I know that may sound crazy, but maybe because I just I I spent so much time watching the the backhand deals and everything like that. Um, it really wasn't like a completely mind blowing concept. Am I right in remembering, if I do remember correctly, that you have uh, politicians around? Um. Yes. <laughs> like they're in the family, right? I should no, say. No, not in the family. the family. Sorry, go on. No, not not in the family. I live like half an hour from the California capital. Oh, okay. So, okay. so the yeah. idea that there are all these backroom deals that are not enforceable, which is fundamentally in the realm of anarchy, this was not a huge shock to you. But did you no. make that connection that you can then make a fantastic argument for anarchy simply by ta talking about the state? Yeah, and I've, I've actually done that before when talking to my friends, um, which is probably why that concept was kind of more of a hash over for me, because I've already been using it. And did you, that's great. And did you see that in the realm of academia as well, or was that something that was relatively new? Um, the, the academia one was, I didn't see it to the extent that you did, but I, I, kind of, I sort of also knew that it was there, um, mainly because you know, college student, I'm immersed in it all. And I, I've had to um, commit some of those backroom deals in a way to get a passing grade, as sad as that sounds. You mean sort of like, uh, I'll, I'll only wound my principles, I won't shoot them, just so you'll give me a grade. Exactly. Uh, sell my soul a little bit, please let me pass college. <laughs> right, I, I don't mind selling my soul, or at least renting it if I get a good price, right? Exactly. Um... And so, in that way, I was always I was always really knowledgeable to it. Um, but for the most part, it just it wasn't very new to me. And okay. I don't know if that was the case with everyone else, but just personally. Okay. Well, uh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, the, I I think anyone who's who's spent uh, any time watching um, uh, CNN a little bit. It, it, at least in the states, it, it is more than aware that uh, most of what goes on in government um, is uh, basically uh, behind the behind the scenes handshaking. Uh, for me, the disconnect was definitely in 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 the idea that that in itself is a is an argument in favor of volunteerism. Didn't even occur to me. Um, and, and when I saw that in the book, um, making that connection, uh, again, I was like, that's, a, that's an interesting argument. I hadn't thought of that, but it, it didn't, I mean, I didn't, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, but I, I, it just didn't seem like, um, you know, it, it didn't like... Um, it, it didn't seem to rock my world the way it did yours, Steph. And uh, when you think about it now, what does it uh, does it does it feel any different or? Uh, I think the idea it's that the, I, sorry the the idea that basically that the state is the best, uh, biggest, and most empirical example of functional anarchy.
Well, best and biggest. Um... Because because it shouldn't even remotely work according to any anti-anarchistic theories, right? I mean, we can talk about eBay and stuff. That stuff operates in the free market, but that the state is the biggest example of functional anarchy, despite crippling anarchy itself, right? Well, and ironically, even even if you, you look at uh, regulated industries, um, all of those regulations are essentially like like the the like the process of getting um, drugs to market, right? Huge. There's a huge chunk of that that's that's all basically negotiation between people in in the pharmaceutical companies and people in the regulating agencies. Right, and the revolving door that if you are regulating pharmaceutical companies after you quit your job regulating them, you get a job with the pharmaceutical companies. All of that stuff is handshake deals that's, nev that's never written down, and they negotiate salary and they negotiate all of this stuff never written down, right? Right, right, that's and it exactly all works right. perfectly. Right, and that's and that's how uh, um, uh, Dick Cheney winds up at Halliburton after his stint with the first George Bush, and then winds up back with the second George Bush after his stint with Halliburton, and why Halliburton winds up with the contracts in Iraq, and so on and so forth. Right, it's right. All of that stuff is crippled anarchy, right? In the same way, um, as somebody mentioned earlier, uh, in the same way that um, the black market in Soviet Russia was a crippled free market and still worked, right? Right. Right. No, it's a great argument. But, um... So this thing which is put forward, the state, which is put forward as the reason why anarchy... Sorry, it is put forward as resulting from the argument that anarchy cannot work and itself only works on anarchy. Well, uh, I'm, I'm curious about something that, that you're working on on this. It's interesting also to me that, that it's kind of commonly, the, the common consensus has seems to be Oh, it's, it's a pretty good idea, but not as much of the mind-blowing nature that you're pointing out. But if you remember like the Iraq War video that you put up, and you came to the conclusion that if we accept the horrors of that video, then we have to accept something else. And I'm wondering if, if we accept or, or get the full nature of this idea, then we accept something in our personal lives, and I'm wondering if there's something a psychological inhibitor to that. I, I yeah, I mean, again, I, I have a couple of minor theories, but I don't want to theorize if if people have. I I think, I think that I, I'm going to totally, you know, sound not vain for a moment, but I think that if something is a great idea, I I'm going to go at least with the theory for the moment that it is right. <laughs> I mean, if I'm if if like I. I almost fell out of my chair when the idea hit me, and I'm still as excited about it a couple of weeks later, and I'm still exploring the ramifications of it in my own mind. I, that doesn't tend to happen to me with ideas that aren't very good. So, I mean, until <laughs> some sort of evidence presents itself. And if the idea is really good and really powerful and, as you say, does have some effects elsewhere in life, 
if the idea is good, then it would be harder for other people to see it, if that makes sense, because those kinds of ideas tend to be the ones where people blank out, if that makes sense. Right, right. And do you have uh, any, any thoughts about that or theories about that? Well, it flashed it flashed in my mind. Maybe does it does it have something to do with how we interact with others? I don't know. Like, I don't. I I'm stuck there. But if it if we accept this theory as being huge and big, then it might have ramifications on how we interact with others in our life. It could be. And generally, when I start with the state, I go to the two other things that we always talk about, right? Religion and the family, and start to think, well, what is the role of anarchy in those institutions? Or, right, or, sorry to go off on another tangent, that perhaps because people aren't allowing anarchy in their, in their ecosystems, then perhaps, because if, if you're saying that even in the most statist of situations, you need anarchy to thrive, then if people aren't allowing anarchy in their ecosystems and having that cold hand of the dictator, then it would mean that they can't proper or they can't flourish as well as they would if they allowed anarchy. Right. And I would go just one step further. You said even in the most anarchistic situations, people – sorry, in the most status situations, people need anarchy to thrive. I'd go further and say that the greatest status situations are only possible because anarchy does work, right? So you could only get the Soviet empire and people who want to run it and people who want to be guards and people like – because all of these unwritten rules and unwritten contracts can be perfectly well enforced through social – mechanisms. So, I mean, that's just a minor tweak, right? Say so it's not, well, we have a big state and now we need anarchy to make it run. It can only drop that big because unenforceable contracts are perfectly enforceable. Right. Well, maybe this gets to... Um, uh, just tying into what Greg is saying, maybe this gets to um, um, like core beliefs around trusting people and trusting yourself and that sort of thing, right? Because if if we accept this as some uh, as a um, as an important idea. Um, then, then the, the implication there is is uh, um, that um, well, I would say the the thought has just struck me that this this idea could be our eclipse. And what I mean by that is um, the theories Einstein's theories. Um, were not considered proven until they sailed out into the middle of the Pacific and they saw the light actually being affected by the gravity well. There was an eclipse and they saw that the position of the stars shifted slightly because of the sun's gravitational well. And that was exactly to the degree that his theory predicted and this and that, right? So that was his proof. And after that, the theory uh, was considered uh, proven. And I wonder if this idea is not our eclipse because we're always talking about 
theoretical future anarchy and this and that and the other, but this could be our eclipse. This could be that which clinches. It doesn't mean convinces everyone, but it, this could be that which clinches the theory that we've been working with for the last few years. Right. Right. Like, this is it. This is the one that does it. E even more so than UPB. UPB doesn't prove anarchism. It says that anarchism is the only l logical approach to organizing society. It doesn't even make that case, just NAP and no theft and blah, blah, blah. But in terms of functional anarchy, this could be the eclipse. Well, that's, well, that's what makes it so huge, because you actually have something you can physically point to and show people. Right. This situation works despite every conceivable barrier. Anarchism works despite every conceivable barrier. No enforceability, no written down... Um, uh, you know, a system that, that supposedly acts against it, people constantly making their living out of exposing scandal, and it still works virtually perfectly. Therefore, the theory works, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more than just an argument. It's an empirical it's um, validation. Proof. Yeah, to, to me, and that's why the idea was so mind-blowing to me, to me, it's perfect proof. We okay. don't need DROs in the future. We don't need contract rating agencies and how they would work. And we don't have to worry about whether one DRO conquers. Like, this is the only thing we need to prove the case. That's okay. That's what was that. I think that's what was blocking me. I was looking at it as just a, another argument, but, um, but as an, an empirical validation of the theory. Well, you could. I mean, sorry, you you could say. Sorry to interrupt, but you you could simply say, okay, well, what would be the worst case scenario for anarchism? Well, it would be where you can't even write down the contracts, where you can get thrown in jail for these contracts being figured out. There's no possibility of enforcement, and there's people who make a huge amount of money sniffing around trying to figure out whether these contracts are occurring or not. That would be the worst case scenario for a free society or an anarchist society to work, right? And and that's exactly the situation you have with um, the state as it exists now. Yeah, and it works perfectly. So if it works under the least favorable conceivable conditions, then it works. If you could design a lab which says, here's the most adverse conceivable conditions for this thing to work, and it works, then it works. <laughs> the state as a lab for anarchy. <laughs> the state as a lab for anarchy. It proves everything we've been talking about. Yeah, and, that makes perfect sense. And it's it, a bi I was going to say, it's a biogenesis. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, uh, if the man can survive being run over, he can survive a handshake, right? <laughs> It, it, it's it's uh it's it's life in in um it's like I, I don't know to me it's like the theory of life, you know, it just it just is evident. I mean it's it, it's observable. Like people talk about evolution, not this than the other thing, but you know you go in a laboratory, you can prove evolution twelve different ways from Sunday. Right. This is our this is our eclipse. This is our evolution. Right. Holy crap. <laughs>
And the that idea awesome. actually came to me after uh, after going to see uh, Darwin, an exhibit on Darwinism. But anyway, that's neither here nor there, right? But but this takes it completely out of the theoretical. And the theory holds under the most extremely adverse conditions that we could conceivably create. And it works perfectly. And there's this weird paradox. Why do people in academics not talk about anarchism? Because anarchism works perfectly. It's like, it's like anarchy isn't just a theory. It's all around you. Right. And that's the everyday anarchy. I was talking at the beginning about the state versus the non-state, right? Well, the state is this, but marriage is that, right? And the marriage works on anarchy, and our job market works on anarchy, and, and all our educational choices work on anarchy. And then we have the state, right? But, of course, the truth of the matter is the state is everyday anarchy as well. Oh, maybe that's where my disconnect happened, too. Because if you had posed it in that way... Oh, I couldn't start the book like that, though. Yeah, I, I couldn't start by the book by saying, the state is anarchy. Right? <laughs> then people are like, okay, <laughs> down black is white, right? What are you talking about, crazy bastard? No wonder you're not <laughs> in academics, right? <laughs> right? I can see why you're so pissed off at all of these people with tenure, right? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but we don't have to go to Somalia, right? And uh, we don't have to go to DROs, and we don't have to go to the future, and we don't have to go to theoreticals. We can just go to that which is. Yeah, we don't have to go to Celtic civilizations 500 years ago either. Right, and, and see, we can, and we can, and maybe I'll put this forward as an article, but we could put forward this argument which says, do you think that anarchy could work if the contracts were not enforceable, if they were multi-year, if they involved hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars, if nothing could ever be written down, and if you ever got caught making one of these contracts, you'd get thrown in jail? And they'd say, Christ, no, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I understand. You're exactly right. They would say, and they'd oh, say, well, no then way. you have to explain how it works so perfectly in the state and in academics. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Because you can point to that and say, well, it's working now, so what's your argument? Well, so, so you're incorrect about this, right? Because it works now. That's how democracy functions. Right. So clearly, you don't have the right approach to this, right? Because you said this could never conceivably work, and it, it works perfectly the world over. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if this works, imagine what happens when we take it out of the shadows and we make it public and we make it objective and we make it enforceable in the open and nobody's sniffing around trying to screw anyone who's got these contracts. I mean, right. if it works in the state, imagine how it can work without the state. Right. So, so the question is... I mean, we all know. That's, sorry, that's in the book, right? I mean, that's uh, this is the greatest argument for anarchy. This is, you know, this is uh, exactly why we know the state is the greatest argument for anarchy. This is exactly how we know it will work, and blah blah blah, right? And everyone's right. like, "Eh, it's nothing new here. Maybe he'll come up with something new. Maybe something new. Man, nothing new. Holy crap! Well, it's a nice book, but there's nothing new." <laughs>
Right. Yeah, so I the question is, why are we blowing past it? Yeah, what does it cost to have it proven? What does it cost us? And let's, let's just go out on a limb, and maybe this is not the right. But this, to me, is the greatest conceivable proof that we can have. The other one, of course, is the family, right? I mean, this girl on Sunday who was crying about going to see her rat bastard of a father, right? Well, there was no contract right. there, right? And that's all seems to be perfectly well enforced, right? Right. Right, but, but, but at the same time, if she, doesn't, if she takes your advice and doesn't go... That doesn't invalidate the notion of um, socially enforceable contracts. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, just as somebody who lives in an anarchic society can go and live in the woods if they want, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't, it actually doesn't work. Yeah. It's saying that once you're 18, there's no one making you go see your family. It's just fear and ostracism. Yeah, and I mean, if, obviously, if you look at culture around the world, which is where we started with On Truth, if you look at culture in the world, it reproduces almost flawlessly um, where it has dominance, and uh, there's no, no one enforcing it, right? Right. Well, and, and, th and that's an interesting point, too, because in, an an in, in a stateless society, an anarchic society like the one that you're proposing, the, in, the, the mechanism is the same but the incentives would be different right Which because the incentives the incentives now are fear and guilt right incentives in the family uh in the family in the state in oh no no uh, not in the church. state in the state it's money and power right i mean the incentives for keeping the contracts right in the family it's fear and guilt that's true, but there is also some money involved in families as well, as we've heard from the people who say, well, I'd like to defoo, but they're paying for my college, right? That's my situation, exactly. Right, so I mean, there is some money, and I don't think it's unfair or unjust, or just pointing it out, right? I think that there is some of that as well. That's yep. True. That's true. But what does it what does it mean if it's proven? If it's no longer theoretical. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's you know a, 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 a two pages in a book are you know the equivalent of the origin of the species, right? I'm not saying anything like that. But if this is the proof, and not these two pages, but this approach, if this is the proof, and if this is the clincher, right? As I say in the book, if we start from first principles, it eliminates endless debate. If we have the proof, what does that mean to us? It is impossible to argue against it. Well, that's certainly what it means logically, although it certainly is possible to argue against it, just not correct, correctly. But what does it mean for right. us emotionally, right? Why is it that our, our emotions went through this stuff and kind of went, eh, skip over, nothing new. What else is in the book, right? Right. Yeah, I just, right, right, right. I just somehow glossed over it. Right, and I think just about everybody did, with the exception of Ducky, just about everybody did. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, to me, that's interesting, right? Because I was, I was putting the book out there, and I was like, wow, I can't wait for people to come back with this, because this is like, holy shit, this is amazing, right? This is the thing, this is it, right? And people are like, no, it's good, it's nothing. 
really knew. <laughs> One guy even said, well, I'm already an anarchist, so I didn't read it. I didn't finish it. I just read the first little bit. <laughs> well, that's, that's hardly... Uh... And people say, well, this would be helpful for people who aren't already anarchists. Like, really? Because <laughs> I would make quite the opposite argument. Yeah. What does it mean if we're right? I mean, it's a pretty mind-blowing thing, because if we have a proof here, then that's quite something, right? Well, uh, what, 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 what are the... Um, what, would one, what would one have to do with that knowledge? Um, well, I, I would ask, what, what would that knowledge? What does that knowledge do to people, right? What if we're confirmed? What if we're not theoretical and we're not what if and we're but if we're confirmed, right? And what if we don't need to talk about DROs and we don't need to talk about contract rating agencies and we don't need to talk about, as you say, Celtic societies or <laughs> Iceland or <laughs> you know Somalia? What if we don't need any of that stuff in the same way? We had UPB for ethics. We have this for anarchy. There's nothing more to do then. Well, sure there is, right? I mean, uh, in terms of the fact that there's like five of us on this call, right? So, <laughs> there may be some more things to do, right? Man, I, I... I think you just fried our minds with it. Well, hey, I'm just just paying it forward, man. That's what happened to me. So, <laughs> well, I'm just trying to answer your question of what what um, I mean, what does it mean? I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, I don't know what it means. But I know that it means something to the community because nobody picked up, oh, very few people picked up on it. Right. And you all are smart enough to do that, no question, right? Right. Right. For sure. And we don't have to have an answer. I'm just to me that's that's the interesting question, which is why? Why? Because this wasn't the case with UPB, right? UPB was like everyone was like, "Well, shit, this takes a load off," right? <laughs> so the question to ask is, what will we lose from applying this? Yeah, what does it cost? I don't know, right? I mean. I think for, if we compare this to UPB, which I think it's a valid comparison, although UPB obviously is much more detailed and rigorous than this, but um, but if we compare this to uh, to UPB, I mean UPB has been great. I mean we don't we don't get into those. I mean for those who weren't around before UPB, you won't remember this, but I mean this used to be like sixty percent of our time, right? Yeah, that's true. 
on the boards in the chat rooms. Uh, actually, no, this was prior to the chat room. Uh, on the boards in the call-in shows, uh, the, it was all UPB all the time, right? I mean, that's all we ever did was do the UPB fight, right? Right, because people would read the article. You had two articles, and people would read the articles, and then they would come on the board and, um, with all kinds of um, misconceptions from the articles, and, and we'd have to argue them out all over again. Right, and since since that, since UPB came out, God help us, I mean, it really was a, a, a stake through the vampire's heart, and I can only think of one or two times where the debate has flared up, and it's quite quickly gone away. Right, right. So we, we, we got that part squared away, which is great, right? I mean, that was huge relief, right? So the, the implication, then, is that there are no more... There are no more... If this is... If this is the eclipse, then there are no more intellectual arguments that people could use as an excuse. Well, we have we have a way of uh, making it enormously efficient to, for making this argument enormously efficient, right? right? In the same way that the UPB book has, I mean, the UPB book is very efficient in so far as it's pretty short, right? Right. So, and and we viewed that as a relief, as a way to move forward. And I, I, what I've noticed, the reason that I wrote this book was obviously we've got a lot of new people coming in as a result of the work Greg and I did on the on the uh, the groups, and also because of the advertising and so on. And people were getting into these arguments about DROs and and uh, stateless societies and so on, and this and that and the other, right? And so I wanted to write this sort of intro book to say. You know, and and to make it free, right? So that we can, but but if if that, and and I'm not saying again, I'm not saying this book makes this case in a kind of clinchy way, but to mull over the idea that's in there in this one in particular helps you make that case literally in about a minute, right? Yeah, yeah. It makes it very efficient. It makes it very efficient. So right. that's not that that's not happy go go pleasure juice making for people <laughs> right because if it was it'd be like holy shit fantastic here's a way out of the, the caverns right well it's not going to convert anybody that's the thing yeah, oh absolutely it will it will convert very few people for sure but it will save an enormous amount of time right so if you present this argument to people and they just say no you're wrong then you can say well my work is done here yeah yeah that's right in the same way with UPB right if, if someone comes in and starts blathering on about ethics and they either won't read UPB and that's another reason why I made it free so it doesn't sound like any kind of teasy cash grab if they won't read UPB or if they do, and they can't find any particular flaws in it, and assuming they don't take the academic route and just start making stuff up, then, I mean, isn't this wonderful? I mean, how much of our life has been freed by not having to have arguments about ethics? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a guy come in the chat room earlier today, um, and he's, you know, like, oh, does Stefan address this argument in the book? And it's like, well... Uh, read the book and right. he's like well i'd rather have a five-minute discussion than give me have four hours cost and it's like well 
you know, we've and, all spent that time too, you know, so you know, maybe you should. I mean, it's free. It's not like it costs you anything. I mean, in terms of in terms of the money. Um, well, I was just it's, thinking, a, it's an entertaining. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a dense and hard. It's not like plowing through the critique of pure reason or something, right? I mean, it's <laughs> no, no, it's pretty entertainingly put together. It's got the null zone idea, which even if you don't even like the ethical argument, is is a pretty useful one. And mm -hmm. uh, and and so yeah, I mean, it's wonderful because then we can say, okay, so this is just a circle jerk, right? So this is the way I. This is another reason why I wrote the books and make them free. It's like I really care about ethics, so I want to come in and debate them. And it's like, okay. I don't get to launch myself straight into a uh, graduate school, uh, graduate level course in astrophysics, right? I have to go through a course or two beforehand, right? I don't go into, you know, advanced astrophysics uh, forums and say, what is matter, right? Or, you know, whatever, <laughs> right? Because it, be, it would be embarrassing to do that, right? And what we have here is a pleasant four-hour self-directed course that's free, Right? <laughs> yeah. And and if if you don't want to do that, if if ethics isn't worth 4 hours of you going for a walk or going to the gym and listening or whatever, right? Then obviously you don't care that much about ethics, right? Right. I, I was I was thinking about um my reaction to UPB um which was sort of lukewarm. Uh and on on I have to, you know, just admit I didn't read Everyday Anarchy all the way through. I got about halfway through it, and then um, <laughs> I I didn't finish it. But when I told when when I heard about this this theory, now I I just became filled with <sighs> kind of like excitement and a little scared. Okay, let's get to the scared part because that's the core I think <laughs> of the challenge of the book. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I didn't read it all the way through, but hearing hearing about this, you know, this readily verifiable experiment, uh, this this criteria, <laughs> for me, it's kind of like, well, geez, now I can't not talk about it with people because it's gonna, you know, it'd be a long, involved conversation. I I don't have an excuse anymore for me to <laughs> not discuss it. You know, if I mean if. Not to say to go out of my way to talk to people if I don't want to, but like if someone comes up comes by and says, "Oh, you know, the DROs, this and the other thing, all these, you know, things," um, then I can take that time and say, "Well, this is the thing here," but but it also it also means something for my personal life, I think too. It does, and I think I think um, whoever mentioned that before, I think was quite right. So. Uh, <laughs> It's also, it. To what woman, huh? Uh, uh, you say it means something to your personal life. I'm wondering what that is. For me, I'm sorry, what Greg means yeah. by that is what is this thing you mean called a personal life? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, poor Greg. Like I'm one to talk. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm. I'm not one. I'm not, I'm not much of one myself. But you know, I. I mean, I, out of the three of us, I do go into a job. <laughs> no, but. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, in in part, interacting with the new people on the boards, but also uh, anybody I might interact with, just face to face. Um, my coworkers. Yeah, but, but, you know, but, but, but what I'm asking is, what what are the implications on those interactions of this particular 
idea. What is this idea going to do to change those interactions for you? Yeah, James. What? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Get up against the wall, white boy. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. It's it's a, a totally fair question. Uh, and, well, honestly, uh, I'd, it means that I can't really hide. <laughs> I don't have a good reason to hide. Not that it was a good reason before, but, you know, it's, it's sort of been this... I guess for me, that's this private quirky thing. And now it's like, um, you know, five minutes, not even, really, to, 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 to put this forward to, to people if I want to talk about it. And there's a part of me that desperately wants to talk about it. Talk about this particular idea? Uh, yeah, just um, stateless society in, in general. And uh, I mean... But the state and is also, state society is, is the idea, right? And that's yeah, I know, I know, going to blow people's mind, and I think it's going to cause aggression in them. I think that's what we all think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm not um, hitting the right chord or anything here. What do you mean? Oh, uh, just um, exactly what it means. I know it means something, but I'm I guess I'm not really sure what it means. Oh, I think that you are, and I think that if we have a very efficient argument for anarchy that is proven, right? Or, or rather, I could say, if we can very easily prove that... Like, it's like, it's like if, 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 um, if uh, Obama becomes the president of the United States and there's some bigot who's never followed any elections, right? Who says blacks are stupid, right? And you say, oh, so uh, by your theory, there's no way that a black should ever be president of the United States. He's like, hell no, they're not intelligent enough, right? And say, okay, hmm. well, we now have a blackish president of the United States, and therefore your theory is incorrect, right? Yeah, but you know what happened then. Uh, I know, I know exactly like, well, what he, happened then. Sorry? Oh, he just got in because of some backdoor deal with some you know, white, you know, white guy loving whatever, you know. Right, but you see, that is revolting to see, isn't it? Yeah, of course. That is stomach-turningly, sickeningly, disgusting, make you want to scrub down with a loofah the size of Utah, disgusting to look at, right? Sure. Well, sure. What do you mean? I mean, do you not find that disgusting? Does anybody else not have that skin-crawling thing when someone puts forward a theory and you disprove it and they just switch stories? Isn't that just revolting? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, uh, absolutely for, disgusting. For sure. So, for sure. And this is what this argument does, right? Because you can put forward and say, well, no, I think a state, the society should have completely unenforceable contracts that people get thrown in jail for attempting to enforce – uh, and and blah 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 blah, and they'd say, well, that could never work, right? And they say, oh well, actually it does. And then we see what they do, right? Do they go, holy shit, you're totally right. I have this theory. The evidence is completely against it. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? So the implications then are that um, it's going to make it extremely um efficient <laughs> volatile it's volatile it, mm. it's it's going to it's going to it's going to very quickly uh expose people's corruptions yeah like in in like a minute or less right and that and that's going to um I mean that's gonna, that's gonna be pretty um, 
um, horrible. D difficult to difficult to to deal with personally. Well, they're gonna. Because... I mean, long-term relationship. People are just gonna attack you, right? They're gonna get ugly. They're gonna get vicious. They're gonna get vitriolic. They're gonna get difficult, right? Right. And that's unfortunately that's all you need to know, right? I'm sorry. No, I was saying, did you have any friends left? <laughs> Just in case there's one still standing in the middle distance, the EA sniper will take him right down, right? <laughs> well, I wonder if maybe this uh, the, the problem is that um, this idea is a clincher. Um, um. Uh, personally, right? Like, like there's there's no... There's no excuse left anymore to think that this is some kind of weird, freaky, um, fun thing to do on the internet ourselves. Yeah. This is a this is a like like um, like like we can't we can no longer um, pretend. Well, there's no fence to sit on, right? Right, we can't have we. There's there's no excuse for doubt anymore in our own minds. Right, and when we remove doubt from ourselves, we place, in a sense, ultimatums towards others. Right. What was um? Well, if if uh, until, until the theory of evolution came out, or until it was proven. You could be on the fence about it, which meant that you could be friends with people who rejected it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once, right. once it's proven, right, once the theory is proven, and this is, this is wholly different because this is, a, this is what I tried to make in this book and what I've been trying to work with lately is these self-contained arguments, right? Right. I don't need to go and right. look up the robber baron history in order to be able to argue about the robber barons. And I don't need to go and look up what's happening to gas prices in order to be able to talk about gas prices, right? Just working from principles, right? First principles, right. I have an idea. Sorry, go ahead. I was thinking, you know, if you point out that the state is not necessary, people will get aggressive. But I think the thing is people, are, or at least I'm tempted to play this fencing game of abstract ideas and but now with this theory you have no real reason to do that right which means that uh, it's no longer as, as Greg was saying it's no longer an intellectual exercise right it takes down the shield go on um, it, it, uh, it takes down the shield of uh, like a, you know the shield of abstraction the shield of um, for me, anyway, like hiding behind the, because um, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not outspoken about these ideas with most people I run into, and probably for good reason. Um, there's been a couple of people that I that I've talked to about it at length, but I mean, to, to this, this, this pushes the envelope, um, well, into reality. <laughs> You know, it, it it moves it from this 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 abstract uh, uh, it, it makes it, it totally makes it concrete and and that um, 
Yeah, there's no, it's, it's no research anymore, right? You don't need to look up. Um, people say, well, show me an example of a, a stateless society, and we can say the state, right? We, right. we don't need to right. look anything up. And we don't have to convince anybody, and that was the goal behind UPB as well, right? We don't have to convince mm-hmm. anybody that our historical facts are correct and the other historical facts that they've heard about. Like if you're trying to talk about the ethics of Lincoln, Oh, right. right. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous, right? Because you're either preaching to the choir or nobody's going to listen to you, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I've heard this and you're now telling me that and who knows who's right, right? Right. And at that level, you're just swimming around in their mythology anyway. Right. Whereas with this, so that's why I tried to make that self-contained argument about robber barons in the book and on that presentation. Which and you know I'm just, you could go endlessly on it, and I added some more bits just at the uh, just before the book went went out um, because somebody was saying, well, the robber barons, you know, got where they were because they killed people. And it's like, okay, well, let's say that's true, right? It still doesn't help your case for the state. In fact, quite the opposite, right? So because but if you go there and you say, well, but the the robber barons did this, and then there was this legislation, and this guy pushed this legislation saying he was a friend of the consumer, then he switched to the robber barons, and like that's all like, well, says you, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this thing doesn't appeal to any knowledge that people don't already possess, because everybody knows about these. You know, you pay politicians and you get special interests, right? Or special favors. That, that nobody, right. nobody doesn't say that. So everybody, so you don't need to go outside the debate, right? If you have this argument, you don't need to go to Iceland. You don't need to go to. Uh, Pennsylvania in the 17th century. You don't need to bring up all these historical facts or all these theoretical arguments, which could go on forever. You don't need to leave the table, so to speak, right? So did you uh, bring up the gas-foe uh, debate with um, Rich on the call-in show uh, about a week ago, and then the uh, video about the robber barons as sort of a preparation for the community for these self-contained arguments? Oh, yeah, no, and I was pretty explicit about that. Say, like, I'm really working on these self-contained arguments. And why? Because the non-self-contained arguments don't work. And, of course, the stuff that has worked the best for us, UPB, is a self-contained argument, right? And it's something you've been saying from very early on in the podcast series anyway, just to work from first principles to not not, not, uh, go search in the library for this fact and that fact, but to think to be a philosopher. Right, but I haven't been able to come up with one for anarchy until now. Right, right, right. I mean, you can talk about the family, but when you start talking about the family, I mean, it gets all volatile, all kinds of volatile, right? But in terms of yeah. of anarchy, um, I haven't been able to come up with a self-contained argument that references knowledge that everybody has, which clinches the case. Right, and this is a perfect one. Yeah, I mean, this to me is, is an irrefutable one. Um, because, because it's more than just an argument. It's, I mean, it's, it's empirical evidence right yes. before our eyes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and it, uh, it leverages knowledge, which everybody has, right? And so there's no need to go. It's very efficient. There's no need to go to, to do any kind of research. You can make this argument without reading anything about DROs or anything like that, right? Yeah, yeah, you could. Absolutely. In fact, you should, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just the part that 
I want, and I, I guess, I guess my concern. I don't want to take your guys' entire evening out, but but my basic concern was that this stuff was sliding past people, which meant that I was concerned that there may be either a sense of complacency or a sense of, you know, yeah, yeah, I got it, right? <laughs> and and not an alertness, and and also there's a um. And, but but I don't think that is the case, right? I, I think James and Greg and other people who said it, I think this point about the emotional volatility of these kinds of succinct and self-referencing arguments is uh, pretty intense, right? Yeah. yeah. Because nobody can say that the government doesn't work on these principles and nobody can say that they're enforceable. And nobody can say that there's a central agency which makes them all work. Right, because there isn't. <laughs> no, there just... isn't, right? So the fact that everybody accepts perfectly proves the case for anarchy, right? Yep. And uh, yep, yep. so I, I think that, that that emotional volatility of that of that of this solution or this this eclipse or this this uh, evolution idea is uh, is one of the reasons why people just kind of oh yeah that's interesting. <laughs> Let's keep moving. Nothing to see here. Just walk past it. Right. 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 And okay. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, also maybe why the general I sense the consensus was, yeah, this would be a really cool pamphlet to give to people. Right. Let, let the book do the work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like they they can deal with it <laughs> rather than uh, like let you make the argument for them. Right. But if you're not going to see the argument, they're not going to see the argument. Right. Right. And that would that would explain why it was seen as a nice piece of propaganda rather than a something that we could, we could actually look at. In yeah, people saying this is the most useful for other people, but I don't think that's true. I think it's the most useful for us. Steph, are you going to rewrite the book so the argument's more clear? Or No, I don't think that uh, I am. In fact, I was just mulling that over during this call. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that I am. I'm not sure exactly why yet. <laughs> if, that's, if that makes any sense, I'm not sure exactly why, but I don't feel any impulse to do that. In fact, I feel the impulse to to not do that, and uh, I'm not sure exactly why. Um, but uh, we have this recording, of course, which we can put out. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure why. But I'll have to sort of mull it over. Maybe because maybe it's most important for those of us in this community because. Um, because this is supposed to be a social thing, right? This is supposed to be something that, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation, right? The, the idea isn't to go out and hand out pamphlets. It's to engage people yeah. in these ideas, right? It's not like, oh, read this book. It has all the answers in it. Yeah, that sounds perilously close to guys in suits knocking on doors, right? Right. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right. I appreciate. Was I just uh, my my dinner is ready? But uh, was there anything else that you wanted to mention uh, real quick, or was this useful? Uh, I'd like to. Um, I can send it around, have a listen. But I think this would be a useful conversation for other people to to hear. I'm not sure at what level, but um, is that is that okay with everyone here? Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, it's okay with me anyway. <laughs> no, you speak for them all. I'm sure. 
Oh, excellent. <laughs> you have that power. <laughs> have the power. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. You too. Bye. Bye.